Hey, can we uh, do me a favor? Let's welcome those who are watching online one time. Welcome, welcome. Come on. Welcome. Hey, whether you're watching, man, we've had people from Georgia to Virginia to Washington to Ohio to Atlanta. I mean, specifically, I don't know where you're coming from, but welcome, welcome in spirit. Hey, we just want to uh, pause and say, I know in this holiday season, there are a lot of needs that you probably have. That Christmas time for some of us is an exciting time. For some of us, it's like, man, you don't even look forward to the holidays if you're being realistic, right? I don't know where you're coming from, but we want to do, uh, do something new as a church moving forward. You might have received this on your way in. It's this prayer card. And if you're watching online, we'd love for you to DM us if you have any prayer requests. But specifically, and I just know there's a lot of needs. And it may be a loved one. It may be a relationship. On your way out this morning, if you want to just write a prayer request, as we keep moving forward week by week, you can drop it off in the offering box. We want to pray for these as a lead team, as a prayer team. There is a group of men who come and pray on Friday mornings. We would love to lift these prayer requests up to the Lord. We want all of you, like in Exodus, to go home satisfied. Say, hey, my needs are seen here. People see me here. We are for the one. Everybody say, for the one. Part of the vision behind For the One is we want to be there to support your specific needs. We see you. You are not a number here, but you are a person with a story that matters. And it matters most importantly to God. Amen. So we want to to be there for you. But on the flip side, we don't just want to reach. We want to unleash. And I have just a really cool announcement this morning. I have Dan and Sandy Poff joining us. Would you get up for Dan Poff one time? Just welcome him to the stage. We uh, support missionaries in the Czech Republic. If you've been here with us before, uh, we really believe that God called us when he, pl- when he called us to plant this church not to build our kingdom, but to build his. And one of those ways that we do that is three different lanes. We have a, a, a global, a national, and a local lane of missions. And I could not be more excited. Dan is actually one of my good friends. Uh, he has mentored me for about seven years now. He has been our marriage and relationship coach for Lienza and I, speaking into, honestly, some of the hardest moments of my life. Uh, broken friendships, things from my past, things that I needed counsel on. So I have the utmost respect for Dan. His wife, Sandy, is joining us. They are about to be sent off to Hungary to do the work of the Lord. Can you give it up for that one time? They are boldly saying, here am I, send me. And I'm just going to toss the mic to Dan for just a few minutes for him to explain their story. Thank you, Andy. Uh, what a privilege it is to be here today. And I am truly, we both, Sandy and I, are truly excited. And you may hear these words and wonder, are they excited? Uh, yes. <laughs> a previous uh, supervisor, boss of mine at Indiana Wesleyan University, came to me and said, Dan, how will I know that you're excited? And I looked at him and said, Bill, I'll tell you. (laughs) I'm not one to jump up and down and scream and holler. I tend to be pretty quiet and muted. My wife will tell you that when I get excited, it's really pretty rare. Um, I'm right on that edge to get really energized and excited with you. In your partnership with us and the fellowship and the care and the love and the prayers that you have. Um, What a privilege it is for us to come here this morning. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, One Church, for giving giving us this opportunity. I want to take a moment and introduce my wife, um, uh, Sandy. Uh, Sandy, go ahead and stand up, please. Uh, You don't have to come up yet. You will be coming up and just turn around so people can see you, hon. We've been through this journey of life together for 46 years. And we've never worked together on something like this, the mission call. And we've learned to really connect in new ways. And we're excited about this new adventure of heading to Europe. We'll be living in Budapest, but we're looking forward to be working all throughout Europe and the Middle East with One Mission Society. Um, Earlier this week, I had a wonderful conversation with Andy, and he shared with me about um, uh, his sermon today in the discussion of Isaiah. Uh, And in chapter 6 of Isaiah, there's this um, 
As far as I know, it's the first recollection of an event in Isaiah's life. I may be wrong with that, but I believe it is. And it's where he had an encounter with God. And God showed him the need. The need for the people of Israel to draw close to him, to God. And that was such a profound connection, profound realization of God speaking to him. Um, Isaiah said, I'm not worthy. And that was taken care of. And God said, no, I'm calling you. And he said, here am I, send me. Similar sort of thing. I don't put myself up to be an Isaiah, but a very similar sort of thing happened to me in 1987 when God very specifically said, Dan, you are to serve individuals in full-time ministry to help them to thrive in their work. And I hadn't a clue what that was about other than it resonated with my inner being. And over 35 years, God has been investing in and impacting me and impacting Sandy to the point where we have come to say, here we are, send us. And so in short order, in March of next year, March 1st, uh, we have this date that will be our time to go. I just noticed something today that up until this point in time, I've been telling others in sharing our call to missions, I've been sharing this idea that we're preparing to go. And for the first, first time, I'm saying we're ready. Because those in ministry need the help to be good leaders to lead in the way God is calling them to lead. We need missionary teams to understand how to work with one another better, to be strong, and as a result, their service for others will be more powerful. We all know that when we start working for the Lord, doing his will in our lives, that Satan doesn't want that to happen. And we'll do all sorts of things to tear it apart, to hinder the work, to destroy the work if possible. And good intentioned Christians can be tied up in that and it limits their serve. I've been given the privilege, we have been given the privilege of working with those in full-time ministry on the mission field so that they can do their work well to create healthy teams, healthy, powerful leaders to reach out and to impact people in the way that they can be impacted. We just ask that you pray for us. We are incredibly grateful that you've decided to join us and support us. We're gonna take some time toward the end uh, after the service today. Sandy and I will be back at the table in the back of the sanctuary. If you wanna talk with us, we'd love to have that conversation with you about more of the detail. I'm limited in the time and I want to respect that. We'd love to have additional conversations to invite you to be part of our ministry. And um, we look forward to continue in connection with you and let you know what we're doing. And I, I shared with Andy earlier today that we'll send video periodically, a newsletter, other things. So you get to hear what we're doing and all of Europe in the Middle East with One Mission Society. Sandy, come on up, please. We are grateful. We are honored to be here today and to do it together. Thank you, Andy.
We want to pray for them, and uh, I just want to brag a little bit more on Dan. He, I would not be where I am at without his influence in my life. Uh, whether he realizes that or not, in 2015, when I got called to ministry, he was the first one to help me really um, understand that I was called. Um, I wouldn't be pastoring this church without him speaking that into me. I remember being in his office at Indiana Westland and uh, saying, I think I'm interested in ministry. I, th- I think I kind of want to be full-time in business, ministry part-time. And, and he kind of was like just being patient. And so uh, just the fruit of, of this man's life and them as a couple. He's been a professor at Indiana Westland for so long. And how many people has he already helped send out, but how many will they help send even in the future as they go? So would you stretch out your hand and let's just pray for them uh, one time as a congregation. Lord, we thank you for Dan and Sandy. Lord, we thank you that it doesn't matter our age or our stage of life, but you have all called us to say, here am I, send me. Whether it's to our backyard in Westfield, whether it's to the east side of Indianapolis, whether it's on the other side of the country or on the other side of the planet to Hungary, Lord. We just pray and we commission them in the name of Jesus, Lord. We remember in Acts chapter 13 when it says that the apostles, the disciples, they laid their hands on Saul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, and they said, this is the work that you have set apart for them, Lord. And so as a congregation, we just say, Lord, would you send them with the power of the Holy Spirit? with great conviction, with great confidence, with great peace. Lord, would you put angels around them? Would you protect them from physical harm? Would you protect them from spiritual attacks? God, we rebuke and renounce the ways of the evil one. We already say, no weapon formed against them shall prosper. You have prepared the way for them. You have made the rough places smooth. You are working all things together for their good and for your glory, God. We commission them in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's name. Everyone said amen and amen. Would you give it up for them one more time? Thank you guys so much. Love you. Love you. On your way out, I really encourage you, stop by that table. There is a card right here. And and I'm dead serious. If you're even praying at the offering at the very end, man, do I give an offering to one church or to uh, one mission society for them? I would encourage you, give it to them. If you're feeling like you have to choose, Give it to them. Bless the work that they're doing. We believe that the Lord is a God of abundance. He rewards our generosity for his name. Amen? Amen and amen. Hey, if you're, if you're just walking in, just a reminder, these prayer cards are for you. Drop them off in the black offering box on your way. If you have a specific prayer request. But let's uh, jump into the message. Would you just go ahead and bow your heads? Close your eyes. Father, we just thank you that your word is alive and active, that the same call that you gave Isaiah, I'm thankful that your word is not a book like any other, but it's alive, it's active, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. And I just pray right now for those who are watching online or in the room, would you remove the distractions, even remove me out of the way, Lord, for what you want to do, Lord. Remove the stone so that we could raise up a banner of Jesus, that we would be known by you, that we would know you intimately and would it change the rest of our life it's in jesus name everyone said amen hey we are in a brand new series as we are jumping into this advent season called the promise and i cannot be more excited throughout this series we're going to be looking at the book of isaiah we're going to be looking at how it pinpoints the 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 coming of the lord When Isaiah says, prepare the way in Isaiah chapter 40, he is prophesying the coming of baby Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. This baby in a manger that would literally blaze the trail, Yahweh in flesh. So here's the title of the sermon this morning, The Feet of Glory. Feet of glory. I want to give you some context. We're going to begin in the book of Numbers. And in this section of Numbers, last week we talked about how the Israelites were called to go into the promised land. They were given a promise. Just Everybody say, a promise. You know what it's like to be given a promise, right? And you know what it's like for someone to promise you something and for them to under-deliver on that promise, right? You know what it's like for someone to, to have a lot of talk and then not follow through, right? And then you know what it's like to serve God that none of his promises have ever failed us. And not once has anything the Lord spoken, has it ever failed. He is sovereign. He is Lord of our lives. And this moment in scripture, 
The Israelites were given a promise that they would inherit the promised land. Now, what should have taken them 40 days took 40 years. They're in the wilderness. They're about to enter into the promised land. Joshua will eventually lead them through the Jordan, and they'll see a miracle of the Lord. But Numbers chapter 13, verse 25, if you're following along on the screen, or maybe you brought your own Bible. Let's jump in. Verse 25. We're going to read these first eight verses, and then I'll unpack this. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from exploring the promised land. So they actually sent some spies to go out to see, what kind of land are we going to inherit? Canaan, as some people would describe it. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. You know, I joke in like seminary, they don't teach you how to say these words. So just as a side note, okay. Um, You're supposed to like act like you know how to pronounce them, right? And just keep moving forward. There they reported to them the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land in which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and with honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there, right, just catch this, they receive a promise of good news, but oftentimes good news comes with a cost. Just hang with me. The good news that comes, the people that we saw there, they're powerful in the cities and the fortified. I mean, they're, they're so large, we don't even stand a chance. We saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites and the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the the Amorites that live in the hill country and all the Canaanites and all the other ites, right, live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb stood up and he silenced the people. He said, we should absolutely go and take possession of this land. Certainly we can do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, no, 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 we can't attack these people. I mean, this work's going to be too difficult. We don't have what it takes. This just doesn't seem like the right time. They're stronger than we are. Verse 32, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report. In other words, they spread some bad news. The land we explored devours those living and all the people we saw are of great size. Verse 33, and then we saw Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak came from Nephilim and they seem, we actually seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. They're cowering under fear. They're given a promise that to them somehow looks like bad news. I remember in around the towards the end of my junior year in high school, this was 20, let's see, 2012, 2013. Some of you are doing the math. I'll let you go ahead and do that for a second. Okay. But my junior year at Westfield High School, I'll never forget, I was in Mr. Ewing's class. Mr. Ewing was one of the best teachers ever. And uh, he, uh, shout out to him. He ever sees this? Come on, man. Anybody have Mr. Ewing? That man was the go, all right? So I'm in this social studies class, and I'm dating a girl at the time. And uh, I remember, I'll never forget this moment. He's given a lecture. Do you call it a lecture in high school or do you call it like a talk, a speech? I'm not sure. In college, you call it a lecture, right? He's giving this lecture. He's hyping it all up. And I'll never forget one of my friends who's a mutual friend of my girlfriend at the time. She leans over to me. Let me just bring you into this moment. And and I can't remember exactly how she said it, but along these words, she says, I'm like, "Uh, Andy, I just, I want to tell you something. Your girlfriend, I want to tell you her name. Uh, She's cheating on you. You're laughing at me? I'm just playing. (laughs) Hey, I didn't marry her, so you can laugh. It's all good. Break the ice. I didn't expect people to laugh, but I'm just playing. Uh, Honestly, in that moment, I was furious. Like, I'll never forget. You know when you get some bad news and your heart just sinks. And I was sitting there, and I was like, you can feel your face getting red, right? You're like, okay, all right. I'll just keep working on this worksheet. You know, it's like, no, your, your focus is gone. You're, you, I don't remember a word that man was saying in his lecture, right? And uh, I'll never forget, as this was happening, it's interesting when bad news is reported. Isn't it funny how everyone kind of leans in? Like, I felt like my classmates were like, what did, what did, right? Are you with me? You know what I'm talking about. Hey, whether you are a believer or not, let's start here this morning in the conversation. Our culture flocks to bad news. There's something in our sinful nature that just says, did you hear so-and-so just got fired? Bro, let, me, let me get in on that conversation. Are you with me? Right? Like, let's just be real. Our culture flocks to bad news. But on a serious note, you know, you turn on CNN, Fox, social media, there are serious things that you have to be aware of, right? Serious prayer needs. I mean, like the war in Ukraine. These are heartbreaking things. Mass shootings, in Virginia, the Virginia football team, 
most shootings in Indianapolis in history. I got that in the mail. 600 mass shootings in the U.S., double than five years ago. And I think there's this pendulum swing generationally, right? If we're just going to look at our culture for a second, it's either we watch all news or we watch no news. It's like if I'm talking to those who are, you know, maybe in their 50s, 60s, 70s, like, hey, you better be watching the news. You better know what's Are you with me? Maybe I'm just generalizing right now and you're mad at me, okay? And then I feel like our younger generation is like, I don't watch the news. I don't need any of that in my life. And then, you know, you show up at Thanksgiving, your parents are like, did you hear, what? Right? It's like, do you not, do you have no clue what's going on in the whole entire universe, right? Do you live under a rock? But it's so interesting. Our culture flocks to bad news. And I'd say like this, as we're looking at this intro scripture, it's actually easier to spread bad news than good news. Like, I take that a step further to say this. Spreading bad news can actually gain you popularity and friends. Like, I remember in high school when this happens, some of the most popular people in our school at the time, it's like, man, if you just spread a little slight rumor, but you got a team around you that's kind of in on it, you can gain a lot of likes. It's interesting. Let's go back to the text here for a second. Numbers 14, 1 through 4 It goes on to say this, that night, all the members of the community, they rallied together. I mean, this bad news, this gossip was actually bringing people together. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly. If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why would the Lord bring us into this land? Only to let us fall by the sword. Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to just go back to Egypt? I mean, you guys, listen to this. The Lord is about to fulfill the promise for hundreds and hundreds of years that they have been waiting for. And they get to the point, and here's what the enemy does. Right when you're about to enter into the promised land, he tells you to turn around. Right before your breakthrough is the moment the devil will put the lie in your heart. You've come too far. Turn around. And this is what happens. Wouldn't it just be better for us to go back? And can I just be really gut level honest with you this morning. I want to put up this phrase and then I'll unpack it for a second. If the enemy cannot destroy you, he will just distract you. If the enemy cannot destroy you, get you to go do something absolutely crazy, he'll just take your attention a little bit off the Lord. He'll just kind of entertain a little bit of gossip, a little bit of slander, a little bit of hush-hush, just to get you to take your eyes off the Lord, just to get you to take your eyes off the prize for which he has called you In Christ Jesus. If the devil can't steal your soul, he'll just try to steal your attention. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. It's it's subtle, right? And how, how does this connect to the story, right? If I'm being gut level honest, I wonder as believers, let me just speak to the believers. I know this might step on some toes. I wonder if we spent as much time sharing our faith as we do conspiracy theories. Like, I wonder how the world would have been different in the last two years. All of the reposts. Did you see this on Fox? Did you see this about Trump? Did you see this about Biden? Yeah, we're being gut level real, right? I wonder if we spent that much time scattering seeds instead of spreading gossip. What would have happened in the last two years, right? But the enemy, just, he's just after your attention. And I think this is where the enemy just has so many footholds across America right now. So let me ask you this question. If you're being gut level honest, do you spend more time spreading gossip or gospel? And I know it's like quiet in the room, right? Because we're all just being like conviction, Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm linking back in the last two weeks. It's like, hey, this is all grace. This is truth and love, right? Are you with me? But let's just, let's just be real. Like how much time do we spend? Okay, let's, let's just break the ice for a second. You ever like have a video that you think is hilarious and you are so ready to share. You with me? It's a YouTube video, okay? Some of you are like, nope, I don't watch YouTube videos. Nope. You ever have that moment where it's like, this is hilarious. Oh my goodness. My sister, me and my sister, we send memes back to each other. That's how we stay in touch a lot. So I'm like, oh my goodness, right? Have you ever like shared a YouTube video with someone in person? You're like, I can't wait to see it. And they're like, yeah, that's good, man. And you're just like, Like your day is just wrecked. You know what I'm talking about, right? But like on a gut level moment, like how often are we so easily just, and I'll share that. I'll repost that. Let me put that on my story. Let me share that with the person across the street. But it's so much easier to spread bad news than good news often. 
Why? Because spreading bad news through the world's eyes, it doesn't come with a cost often. It depends on who you're hanging out with. It depends on what your goal in life is. Here's the second point for us, and we'll keep unpacking this. Good news isn't perceived, just like that YouTube video, good news isn't perceived by everyone as good news. So how does this connect? Now let's fast forward to the life of Jesus. So we're talking about a promise that is hundreds, now thousands of years old. They're they're entering into the promise. And now this connects to the greatest promise that would eventually come through the line of David, Jesus of Nazareth. Now this is in Jesus' adult life, Luke 4. It'll be up on the screen. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. News about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. Jesus is the good news that they were waiting for way beyond the promised land, way beyond being freed from slavery. He is freeing them from a spiritual slavery that is eternal forever. Can I get an amen? The Messiah has come. You know what the saddest thing in Christmas season is there are some people that still believe the Messiah has not come yet. We believe that couldn't be anything further from the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There is not, hey, this this religion leads to heaven and that one's kind of you do you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to heaven. We believe that. We're unashamed about that. So the good news shows up, right? News about him is spreading. Verse 17, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Now, if we're just reading this at like face level, this is like, okay, he has a scroll. No, no. This is an extremely detailed, prophetic, fulfilling moment right here. I mean, there's people, there's Israelites, there are people from the Old Testament that have been reading this passage that they knew this was a prophetic sign for the coming Messiah. And Jesus is holding this scroll. And he says in verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. This is prophetic from the book of Isaiah. He is quoting it word for word to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, the good news, and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Could not take their eyes off him. You could hear a pen drop. He began by saying to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled and you are hearing. The Messiah has come. But here's the thing is, good news isn't perceived by everyone as good news. I mean, if you really unpack what's happening, the gospel, if you were to unpack it in the Greek language, when they call the gospel, it is literally good news. An evangelist is a carrier of the good news. It says in Isaiah chapter 52, beautiful are the feet that bring good news. Are you with me? But just because it's good news doesn't mean people will perceive it or receive it as good news. How does this apply to what's happening in this scripture? You have to know that in order for this good news to be good news to the Pharisees, they had to admit they were wrong. They were wrong. That they thought they had figured religion all out. It's by keeping the law. It's by doing all of these rules. They're living by the law of Moses. And then the Son of God, God in the flesh, shows up right before their eyes, and their heart is too proud to see it. Isn't that interesting? You could be... Literally, face-to-face with Jesus, we see it all through Scripture, and you can miss it because of pride. Because good news, the good news of the gospel, somewhere in our heart, we have to admit before the Lord, I am wrong. I'm wrong. In other words, we call this repentance. God, forgive me that I don't have every answer to life that I can't make the sun shine, that I can't provide food on the table, but you are not only my Savior, you're my Lord. But the Pharisees, they miss it. I don't know where you're coming from this morning. I I feel like uh, God called me to be an evangelist because it's hard for me to keep in good news. And I was like, okay, what do you mean by that? If you tell me that you are pregnant and you don't want to tell anyone yet, I have to really like pray to like, God, please don't let me. Like I knew, you know, it was really good that I missed a week of church the week that we found out we were pregnant because I didn't have to face any of you, right? I was in Ohio. And uh, then I came back and it's like, okay, it's time to make the announcement. Okay, just lighthearted. Um, I, I promise I can keep secrets, okay? But I honestly, 
just being totally transparent, I really do feel like that's one of the reasons why God called me. I love to share good news. I really do. Luke 4, 28 through 29. How do they react to Jesus sharing this good news? All the people in the synagogue, fast forward, it says they were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove him out of the town, took him to throw him off the hill, which the town was built, in order to throw him off the cliff. But don't you love Jesus, verse 30? But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. I love Jesus. I love that he's fully God, fully man. But isn't it interesting as you look at this? I mean, just think about all of the Twitter stream that's happened between 2020 and 2022. Trump, Biden, left, right, Republican, Democrat, mask, no mask, vaccine, no vaccine, right? And here's what's so interesting. Just as fast as we crown a king, we will crucify him. Now, some of us, if we're being real, our Messiah is a politician. And we're praying, God, would you make this country right by the right president? There's no problem in praying that. I mean, it tells us in Timothy, pray for your leaders. Amen. Yes and amen. Pray for those who are in office. Yes and amen. But we serve a Messiah that is not left or right, Democrat or Republican. He's not just going to take vaccine or no vaccine. He came to bring all of us for those who call on the name of the Lord. They will be saved. One. One in Christ. But the devil, he's just got us distracted. I mean, if he can just get you to Twitter feed all day, mask, no mask, vaccine, no vaccine, left or right, you won't have any time to share your faith. But we spread rumors more than the gospel. Just as fast as we find our next favorite politician, we'll crucify him. Just as fast as they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, they were crucifying him on two pieces of wood just a few days later. So this is what Isaiah says, Isaiah chapter 40. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. This isn't a politician. This isn't a new religion. This is the Messiah that they have been waiting for. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. This is the beautiful part about Jesus, you all, is he meets you right where you're at that there is even ground at the foot of the cross. That there's actually nothing you could do to buy your way into heaven. There's nothing that you could do to put on the best face and make sure I dress. And Okay, people are going to like me at church. By grace, through faith, we are saved. It says those who call on the name of the Lord, those that say Jesus is Lord, they will be saved. Verse 5, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. This is a beautiful moment. All the people will see it together. This is good news. But I want to pause here on verse 5. It says, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. If you're with me this morning, just nod your head. Are you with me this morning? I know we're we're going there. Verse 5 says this, the glory of the Lord. Let's just read this together. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. Okay. I want to put this up on the screen. Isaiah had a heavy calling. Like if, if Isaiah wanted to be liked by people, he got into the wrong profession. Because Isaiah's calling in many ways to prepare them for judgment. So this is heavy. Here's the bad news. Oftentimes you ever have a conversation with somebody, you're like, do you want the bad news or the good news first, right? Anyone want the bad news first? Or anyone's like, give me the good news first. And then I'll like couch the bad news in. Okay, all right. Here's the bad news about the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 10 All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. See, all of us, we will stand before God one day. We will give an account for our life before the God of the universe. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. He's speaking to believers, the church of Thessalonica. But it says in verse 6, God is just. He is not only your father, he is also judge. He is not just friend, he is also king. God is just in his judgment. He will pay back to those who have troubled you. Aren't you thankful that vengeance is the Lord's? Can I get an amen? All the things that have happened to you, I'm so thankful that God sees it all. He will pay back those who have troubled you. Verse 7, he will give relief to those who are troubled and to us as well. Here is the weighty part about the gospel that you have to know or else the good news won't be good news. It says this, this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed. So Isaiah just said, when the glory of God is, what does it say? Revealed. 
Now we're in the New Testament. When the Lord Jesus is revealed, this is only a beautiful moment for those who know Christ. That's the heavy part. Because when the Lord is revealed from heaven and blazing fire with his powerful angels, he will actually punish those that do not know God, do not obey the Lord Jesus. This is the simple message of the gospel. This is real repentance. We really believe that eternity is on the line. That if you do not accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, there is not a neutral spot you will spend eternity. And I know that's like a really heavy thing, but I love you enough to tell you the truth. I really do. This is the heavy part. They will actually be punished with everlasting destruction, shut out from the presence of the Lord. I mean, literally, imagine what it feels like to not hear from God for like five days. Now we're talking eternity, completely separate from the Lord, not only shut out, but literally in eternal torment. The New Testament talks about as the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. This is not a place that you want to spend eternity. Verse 10, on that day when he comes to be glorified, his holy people will be marveled at among all those who have believed. His holy people. This includes you because you have actually believed. This is good news to the church of Thessalonica, but here's the truth. The gospel, we can put this phrase up on the screen. The gospel is only good news is you bow a knee before you meet him. You don't want to see when the glory of God is revealed if you have not given your life to Jesus. You don't want to see that day. And I love you enough. Isaiah loved you enough. The Lord loves you enough to put this in scripture so that we have actually have real reverent fear for the Lord. But this isn't a fear-based gospel. Let's just rewind for a second. Look at what Isaiah says in chapter 54. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace will be removed, says the Lord. He who has compassion on you. This is the bad news. There will be judgment. Here's the good news. Jesus has come. Jesus has come to take the penalty that you and I deserve. When we're talking about hell, when we're talking about eternity, this is a real place. But can someone praise the Lord that Jesus, the Son of God, has come. He has taken our penalty. He has taken what we deserved, that we now can be right with God through the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you can be right with God this morning. You can give your life to Jesus today. You have to know the bad news or else the good news won't hit that hard. This isn't a Jesus, let me sprinkle Jesus into my life. This is Jesus rescued us from eternity in hell. This is Jesus paid the penalty so that we would not have to spend eternity in torture. The gospel is only good news though if you bow a knee before you meet him. And if you do that, this is the best news that could ever be released on your news feed. This is the good news. But you know what I wasn't ready for? When God called me into the ministry, I remember a very specific moment in my life. This would have been around the same time after my girlfriend cheated on me and you all laughed at me. I'm just playing, right? And uh, I remember actually being in my friend's basement. This was a, if I'm being real, this was a basement that we used to do drugs in together. And I remember I went to a camp. I went to the Young Life camp that year. This was about, gosh, eight years ago or so. Eight, nine years. And I remember I had an encounter with God at this Young Life camp. I had an encounter with God that summer. And I was in the same basement. I used to do drugs. I was in the same basement that we used to gossip and do all sorts of crazy stuff together. And I was with the same group of friends. And I remember... They brought out the weed, and I remember just having a real gut-level moment with them, and I was just like, y'all, I'm, I'm different. I don't do that anymore. You all, you know what I wasn't ready for following Jesus is to lose friends. I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready for the blank stare that they gave to me, like I drank the Jesus juice, right? Like I was crazy. Oh, so you're like one of those Catholic kids that went to, like, religion school. Like, you're all different now. Okay, right? I wasn't ready. Why do I say that? Spreading the good news comes with a cost. Yes, this is good news. This is the best news that has ever come to planet Earth. Jesus crucified. Jesus risen. Jesus made a way back for us. Best news that's ever been on this planet. But it comes with a cost. It does. 
Lecrae said it this way. I love how he said this. Just know if you want to rock the boat, you better have a life raft. That the moment you step out and you start getting bold for your faith in Jesus, be ready. Because the devil has a big X on your back. And he wants to take you out. So maybe this morning as you're hearing this, one of the things that you need to do as a next step in your life is you have to rearrange some relationships. Here's the truth. The more narrow your calling gets, the more narrow your circle gets. How would I say it differently? It used to be the quantity of friends. Now it's the quality of friends. It used to be, as long as I'm kind of liked at school and like people think I'm cool, I'm, I'm on the basketball team and I'm cool with that crowd. But then you follow Jesus and he has a calling on your life and it comes with a cost and there's going to be moments where you're misunderstood and people don't understand. And he's different now. He didn't come to the same parties anymore. He doesn't hang out with us like he used to. Like, man, he just thinks he's above us. Be ready not only to be misunderstood, but be misrepresented. You know what they said about Jesus? They said Jesus was possessed by demons. They said Jesus was, oh, he eats with tax collectors and sinners. This man's a glutton. I mean, who is this Jesus? When you step out and start sharing your faith, just be ready to be misrepresented. That's all I'm saying. It comes with a cost. Here's the third point for us, and we'll be done. Shout it from the mountain. Now, as we think about our current relationships, can I encourage you? The good news is when you lose a relationship for the name of Jesus, he will only give you better ones in return. No, y'all didn't hear me. When you lose someone in your life because they don't like you enough anymore because they think you're different now, you drank the holy juice, God will always reward you for your obedience. He will always reward you double portion over the top till it's overflowing till you have so many Christian believers around you that say, I know who you are. I celebrate who you are. I support who you are. I support where you're going. We need to get these kind of people in our life. And for some of us, to make this step to start sharing our faith, we have to just rearrange the circle a little bit. I'm not talking cutting people off. I'm not talking about being prideful. Jesus still ate with the tax and cl- tax collectors. Are you with me? Like Jesus didn't cut himself off from the world and say, oh, I'm, I'm holier than thou. No, no, he ate with the lost, the, lo- the lost, the last, the least, the broken. He was there. But this is, this is the... The struggle. So here's the third point. Shout it from the mountaintop. A lot of you are like, Andy, I would never see myself shouting anything from a mountain, right? If you're being real. You ever uh, seen that game Telephone? Anybody? Would you go ahead and stand to your feet? We'll wrap up here in a second. Anybody ever seen that game Telephone, right? It's like elementary school. You got like the, the old school 90s cup that has like the teal and like the yellow on it. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody? All right. All right. Yeah, come on. And now it's on like shirts because all the 90s kids are like retro is cool, right? So you got, the, you got that cup and then you got some string and you're like talking to people and then like this person tells another person. I don't know how it all works, right? But it's, it's interesting as you think about this analogy that something that's said at the beginning is completely different that's said at the end. Are you with me? And how it gets distorted, how rumors and gossip get spread. I know this is kind of like a cheesy analogy, but I do think this is how we are with God sometimes. Why? We rely on secondhand faith, secondhand remarks about God more than firsthand relationship. If we're just being real, maybe you're here this morning and you only know things about God. Well, I know like my grandma told me that like he was there for her when she had nothing left, right? Maybe your decision this morning is saying, my family's faith is not just my family's faith. This faith is my own. This is my decision to follow Jesus. This is my faith now. Maybe this is the step of maturity that you need to take. Because there's a huge difference, right, to know about God versus knowing God. And we talked about judgment. This is what Jesus says on the judgment day. What will get you into heaven is not knowing about God. Jesus says on the day of judgment, he will actually tell people, depart from me, I never knew you. Heaven actually comes from knowing Christ. Are you with me? This isn't about works. This isn't about how well I can balance my communion cup in my hand and make sure I can open it and everybody's like not looking at me, right? 
This is not about, have I said everything right in my past? Have I, have I never drank before? Have I never had sex before marriage? Like, yeah, yeah. Jesus came and he took your sin on the cross. He shed blood for you. He put on a crown of thorns for you. He already paid the price. But what gets you into heaven is knowing God, having a relationship with him. Are you with me? Right? This is the good news. And as I say, shout it from the mountain. We're about to sing a song that talks about that. And if you're being real, like I said, you might be like, Andy, I would never want to shout anything from the mountaintop. Maybe, you know, you feel like you're more of a quiet personality like Dan. Maybe you're just like, I'm not into the whole raising of my hands thing. That's okay. Jesus meets you right where you're at. It's not better or worse. We're just different. We're unique. But here's the truth. Let me ask you this question. Why does God speak in a whisper and not a shout? Often. Because he wants to be close. He wants you to be close enough to him that you can hear his whisper. He doesn't shout. Yeah, there's moments in scripture where he has to raise his voice. It says when, when John has a vision of Jesus, it's like the thundering oceans are pouring out of his mouth, right? Yes, Jesus is the lion, but he's also the lamb. Why does God have us do this? Matthew 10, 27 says this. Jesus tells the disciples, what I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ear, shout from the housetops, the rooftops for all to hear. Here's where I want to leave us, right at the beginning, right at the end, right here. It's only when you hear his whisper that you will want to shout it out. Some of you are like, I'm not sure what you're trying to say, Andy. It's only when you have a personal, intimate, close relationship with God that you will want to shout the good news. If you only know facts about God, okay, Jesus is from Nazareth. The Bible is real. If you only know things about him, shouting any good news about the gospel just seems ludicrous. I mean, Peter denies Jesus three times. And then later in Acts, it says he is shouting before these people. He says, Jesus is who you crucified. He was raised from the dead. He is Lord. How is Peter going from someone who is a coward to courageous? Because he had an up-close encounter with God. Because he found out that God is not in the general, just in the general. He's in the details of our lives. He knows you. He knows your name. He knows your story. He knows a word on your tongue before you're even about to say. He knows your story in your seat today better than anyone else in this room. He knows the heartbreak that you've been through. He knows the divorce that you're going through. He knows the financial situation that you're going through. He knows the anxiety, the depression that you've been battling. And he comes with grace and kindness to say, welcome home. Welcome home. He wraps his arms around us gives us his love. And so Isaiah 6, 8, it says this, here am I, send me, which is what Dan talked about. And a lot of us, we know this scripture as a memory verse. Here am I, send me. Anybody ever seen this scripture before? You see it at like a missions conference or a camp. Lord, here am I, send me. But we have to rewind. In the first seven verses, Isaiah had an up-close encounter with God. The only reason the only way that he had the boldness to say, here am I, send me, is because he had an encounter with the living God that he didn't just know about God. He had revelation. He saw that God was not going to send him empty-handed, but God was going to send him in the power of the Holy Spirit, that he could take someone from coward to courageous, all from one encounter with him. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? For those in the room that if you're being gut level honest, you don't have a real relationship with God. Like, yeah, you would call yourself a Christian. You would say on your Facebook, hey, I'm I'm for Christian things. But if you're being gut level honest this morning with heads bowed, you don't have a relationship with God this morning that's real and authentic. And you want to have one with him this morning. Would you just raise your hand? There's no shame. There's no condemnation. If that's you, you want to give your life to Jesus to be saved today. Would you just lift a hand?
believers in the room that are saying, I want so desperately, even now, Holy Spirit, bring the faces and the minds of the, the people that don't know you but are close to us, God. Maybe it's family, friends, classmates, teammates, players that we're coaching, teachers we work with, co-workers in the business field. If you know someone that doesn't know Jesus, that you so desperately want to, to be the good news and share with them, but you need the boldness of the Holy Spirit, would you just raise your hand? I'm there with you. Father, you see our hands. You know the workplaces that we're going to. You know the families, the lives, and the fear of man has kept us gripped. But Lord, I just prophesy today in faith that you are breaking off the fear of man in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for every single person that is afraid to go into their workplace to talk about Jesus, that you would give them the same boldness you gave Peter to say, no, 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 this is my testimony. God took me from death to life. Lord, for those in our family and everywhere in between, I pray the power of the Holy Spirit upon us that we would be walking with the wisdom and the discernment and the love of the Lion of Judah that walks with us. It's in Jesus' name everyone said, amen and amen. I want to end with communion this morning. So I'm going to go ahead and invite Kevin and Phil to come to the table. I know that this morning was heavy, right? We're talking about God's judgment. We're talking about repentance. But when we come to the table, you all, scripture tells us, come to the throne of God with freedom and with confidence. What that means is you don't have to come to the table with your head down, but you can come with your head held high, not out of pride, but of a humble confidence, knowing that when you come to this table, this is a reminder that he's already paid it all for you that he is giving you a yoke that's easy, a burden that is light, that you know your way to heaven, your relationship with God is real. This is a symbolic remembrance of the blood that was poured out, his body given for you. If you would come from the outside of your rose back through the middle, let's go ahead and partake in communion together.